As an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, how can you ensure the success of your business and your quality of life? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. This program will help you to identify and make necessary changes in your life and your business. You'll find the challenges that you're facing and solutions in the examples of lifelong business owners who have entrepreneurship in their DNA. You'll also learn from experts who've transformed their mindset and skills to become industry leaders. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Dominic Capasilli joins me today. Dom is the CEO of The Clean Cell, a consulting firm that helps businesses to build their sales efforts from the ground up and really critically to tell a better sales story. Dom, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Hamda. I'm excited. I'm excited to discuss a topic that so many businesses struggle with. And this is a topic sales that really unlocks the door from business failure to success. Absolutely. You can't do anything if you can't get people to buy from you. And so along those lines, you've noticed that many businesses actually succeed despite their sales efforts rather than because of them. And I'd love for you to talk more about that. Yeah, I I ran into this. I started working with the startup community probably about three or four years ago uh, when I was building my own startup within an existing company. And what I realized is I, I had this weird fantasy that all, I guess, all business owners had this perfectly running sales engine. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to be successful because I, you know, I, I didn't have much of a network or I didn't have much of a technical or subject matter expert. I was just good at my function of, of sales. And what I realized is that especially in the small business community, and I would venture I would venture to say actually much more than that, it is not this uh, beautiful, well-oiled machine. A lot of people are have a great product or really good relationships, and they're succeeding because of those. And they have a really leaky sales funnel. And they're not doing things, their process, their strategy, their pitch, all of that is not in line with best practices. Uh, and they're actually succeeding despite that, not because of it. And it's it's kind of a liability. It's a liability for them. It's you know, I, it was amazing to me that these companies were even afloat, not having uh, a sales process and strategy that was up to snuff. So I started. I noticed that, and that's where I kind of knew there was something that I could do to help. And obviously, you found that in the place that you're working with the client to really make sure that their strategy and what they're communicating is aligned with the great services or products that they offer. What do you find to be the surprise for the client? Meaning what are they surprised by when I tell them that they're doing that wrong? Yeah, because it's interesting, the note that you made about businesses really having a leaky sales process. So is that a surprise to the client when you point it out? Yeah, it is. So a lot of times I work with companies where the person who owns the company is a technical or subject matter expert, right? And it's basically like someone who's earned the right to call themselves an expert in their chosen field. And usually that comes with a strong network uh, of people. And that's how a lot of people kind of get started. And they talk to their friends and they have this, this idea that they're they're running like a, they're running a really great sales organization when they're actually speaking to people who are already have a relationship with them and kind of have a vested interest in in hearing them out. But eventually, if you really want to grow a company, you have to go beyond those warm leads. Uh, so the big, uh, it's a big surprise, I think, to founders. They have this idea when I speak with them, they're like, oh, you know, I got the pitch thing down. I have it. It's, it's working really well. And then I start to dig into the numbers and I realize that 
the sales aren't really there. So they, they have this weird kind of reality distortion field because they've gotten a lot of their clients through referrals and through their warm network, which is really strong, which is a great resource. Like, it's, you know, I would never fault anyone that. But if you really want to scale up a company, you need to start to be able to speak with people who you've never talked to before and convince them that, that you're the right solution for them. And it's really, that's an entirely different skill set. Uh, finding those people is an entirely different skill set. And then actually selling to those people is an entirely different skill set than someone who you've known for a long time. So I think it's a bit of a shock to the system when I when I meet with a, a founder and you know I listen to their pitch or I kind of look at their sales outreach email. It's hard to ignore the net result, which is they're not selling as much as they'd like to. I think a lot of the reason why that's happening gets mistaken by founders just because they've had that reality distortion field of talking to people that they have a good relationship with and getting feedback from their employees. You should never ask the opinion of somebody whose salary you pay. It's, it's going to be really hard to get a true opinion from that person. And I find that the a lot of founders start to put themselves in this uh, in this bubble where they're only asking people they have a really great relationship with how they're doing. And I, I think that that's a really long-winded answer to your question. But that's what I see a lot. I think it's a surprise when I tell them, you know, you're not doing things that are in line with best practices. But it's also really a positive as well, because if you have a company that's running where you're even floundering and breaking even, and, you ha- and you're not doing anything that's in line with sales best practices or very few things that are in line with sales best practices, some really cosmetic changes or some quick changes can make a huge difference in your business. So you've already offered some great advice in just the first five or so minutes of our conversation, that it's very, very helpful to have more of a neutral or external perspective, especially from someone whose expertise is sales. And you've worked with clients in various industries and at various stages of their business structure and various sizes. So there are some commonalities that tend to work for everyone. And your point is that the revenue stream can be stronger. And then the other issue is you want to take a look at the future and you want your business to be viable moving forward, especially as market conditions change. Yeah, I mean, you can't sell to your friends forever. That's a really a big issue, right? If, especially if you want to, if you really want to grow a company or grow beyond a lifestyle business, and you know, even to grow a good lifestyle business, it really is important to make sure that you're doing things that are in line with best practices for the stage where you're at. So, Dom, let's talk a little bit about your expertise because you're speaking from the vantage point of having a successful sales career. And then also a lot of success in the narrative profession, right? As a storyteller in various forms, as a reporter, author, screenwriter. So tell us a little bit more about the perspective that you're bringing and how it really helps you to make such a difference with your clients. Yeah, sure. So I I came into sales a little bit. I think the background will be helpful. I came into sales a little bit later in life. You know, I never thought that that was my calling. I always was a storyteller. Uh, I went to school for journalism. As you mentioned, I was a reporter and then I did screenwriting. And I think one of the things I, I came into sales after all of that. And, you know, I kind of had this idea that I was just going to have to start over. Uh, I knew I wanted to live in New York, not LA. And I knew that I had some kind of an acumen. I was always told, you know, I would be good at this. Uh, so I said, okay, let's give, it, let's give it a shot. And I thought I would have to start over from, from the bottom uh, and learn an entirely new skill set. And I w- couldn't have been more wrong about that. You know, all the all the training that I had was the best possible preparation I could have had for a sales career and for an entrepreneurial career. And the reason is because 
all a sales pitch is or all a, a brand story is is a story you know it's a it's a, a the way in which we persuade each other is through story and the way in which commu- humans communicate and connect with each other is through story uh, so not to get too woo-woo about it, there's a lot of practical things you can do there. But I really had what I learned in my years as a storyteller was a, was to demystify the process of telling a good story and telling the right story to your clients and and um, within a business sense. And I was able to, I, it gave me a very unique perspective because I could not only create, um, I could not only create stories that would persuade clients I was working with, I also knew how to communicate that to other members of the organization that I was working with because I I had kind of cracked the code of what was involved in, what was involved in a in a good story, whether that's, you know, a movie or a story that you're telling a friend or a sales pitch or, you know, whatever whatever it is. I I feel like that background from the narrative piece was is so important if you want to be able to persuade someone. And I would think also it's a very strategic process and your clients must have a lot of insights when you're working with them on their narrative. Oh, of course. So I don't write, yeah, the, the thing that, what I, what I tell my clients is that I'm actually, my job is to be a translator and pull your story or the story that you need to tell your clients out of you. Um, I'm not actually, I don't have the expertise to write that to, to write that story or to know everything that I need to know to write that story, but it doesn't really matter. It just matters that they do. What I can do is help help them put that in the best form possible to move their prospects into sales. And that goes for their marketing. You know, this is kind of like their, their what we call it with our clients is the core sales story. What is the story that you're telling to your clients about the problems that you can solve for them? That's really the essence of, of what you need to do. Sorry, I kind of lost the original question there on my tangent about a core sales story, but that really is the key piece. Right. And I was reading some of your blogs and along the lines of what you're saying that you're helping your clients do in terms of their story. You talk about making it clear what your product or your service actually is, being very concrete about that. And then also really importantly is helping people to understand the impact that it has for your customers. Yeah. So people don't buy because you have a great product. If I can break it down into my entire business down into one sentence, it's that I help people stop telling the story of their product and their solution and start telling the story of the problem that they solve for their clients. So you really need to, that's a, that's a shift. That's a paradigm shift from me, me, me to how do we help people like you, you, you. And that is the most important thing that you can possibly do. And that has reverberations in every area of the sales process and every area of marketing. And I really would say every area of your your story as a, as a brand. It shouldn't really be, here's my solution and here's what's great about it. It should be, here's the problem that I saw or we saw. Here's how they should be thinking about that problem. And here's how we solve that problem for you. So it's really important to shift the paradigm from them and their, you and your product to your prospect and their problems. That makes sense. If you're in a conversation with a client, then you feel yourself working really hard to prove yourself in that conversation. You can also generate a lot of mistrust because like you said, you're not focusing on the client as opposed to if you're connecting with the client and showing empathy and knowledge about their situation, then you're really focusing the conversation on that client and understanding 
their circumstances. Yeah. I mean, and your job is not to, you know, I, I say this a lot too. Your job is not to sell someone. Your job is to figure out if they have the problems that you, that your product can solve and if they're a good fit. And you can't do that if you talk about you the whole time. You need to sit back, say, okay, let's, let's figure out what your needs are. Let's figure out what the problems you're having are in this area or if you're having problems in this area. And if so, I'll tell you about me and I'll tell you about how we solve those particular problems. But the only reason I'm talking about me is as a vehicle to solve your problems. If you even think about it in just human terms, if I go on a date, I don't want to hear the, the person talk about themselves for the next 60 minutes. People want to hear themselves or care about their situations. Uh, that made me sound like someone who's a little bit more surface level. But on a date, if you want to get someone to never go out with you again, just talk about yourself for the next 60 minutes and see what happens. The best dates are the conversations where there's a back and forth. And that's really, really important. And you can't have that if you don't care about what the other person's talking about. And business is just like that. So I can't can't effectively earn the right to tell you I can solve your problem as a business or as a service if I don't know what that problem is and, and I haven't even asked you about it. Right. So sometimes we can do that in some areas of our lives, like as an example that you gave in dating, maybe we're really good at listening and showing interest in the other person and getting a lot of information about them, but we don't always make the translation in other areas of our lives. Yeah. I So when I, one of the things that I, that I give for a workshop and, and one of the analogies I use is that if you're at a bar and you want to go talk to someone, you think to yourself, you see someone, you're like, this person is the one. This is this is who this is the person I need to be with. Now I have to go convince them to spend the rest of their life with me. So you think to yourself, okay, what am I going to say? And you, you think about it for five minutes, uh, and then you like take a big chug of your beer. You you slam it down. You walk over and you say, "Hi, I own my own company. Uh, I work really really hard. I work out. I'm ambitious. You're, I'll be a great father to all of our children. By the way, my name is Dom. What do you think?" You know, like that, that person's going to like, if, if they're nice, um, they're going to tell me that they're busy or go to the bathroom. If they're not, I'm going to get like thrown out of the door by security. And it's like, we know that we would never do that. But if you look at the average sales pitch or you look at the average sales email to someone, that's exactly what they do. They send a five paragraph blurb about them and their company. And then they, and without asking anything about their clients or without asking anything, without even making the assumption that this person is right for them. Like, I don't, I don't even know if that woman's married. I don't know anything about her. You know, how can I, how can I know that she's right for me if I don't know anything about her? There's a ton. And like, if you take that analogy and you, and you break it out into the sales process and, and business, it it really makes a lot of sense. People, business is just about people and people do not want to feel like you're being pushy with them or trying to fit them into what you want to do. They want you to know about them. It's a, it's a really key factor. It's clear when you offer that illustration, but I guess the issue is being mindful about how we're coming across. It'd be great if you could talk a little bit about the type of clients you work with who are really compatible with you. And what's the process you take them through, similar to the illustration that you gave, where you're asking them to take a look at what they're conveying and then make some adjustments so that they're really putting themselves in the position of the client? Yeah. So, I mean, the companies that I work with generally are are B2B companies because there's a sales conversation that's required. The Some of the brand and story work that I can do will work for any company because you 
even if you're selling shoes to consumers, there's still a story that you that you need to tell there. But overall, generally, the clients that I work with most are B2B companies who are selling to other companies, uh, selling a solution to other companies. This process I go through with them is to really go back further than what they're doing now. Every company is, is really good at telling their story um, and like what their solution is. Nobody needs help doing that. I mean, believe me, a lot of marketing firms and a lot of marketing firms will take hundreds of thousands of dollars off of you to retell that story that nobody cares about about you. But you need to go further back than that to the to the problem piece. So the way to connect that is your cus- you you built this solution because it solves a problem. If it doesn't solve a problem, you may have an issue with your company. But basically, you built and almost every product solves a problem. But you built this because it solves a problem. So we need to go back further. What I do with my clients is I say, okay, what are the pain points that your typical client is having when they have this problem that you solve, right? So if we take my business, it's uh, their founders and they have to, they just got funded and they have to scale uh, and they don't have any sales experience or any know-how to build a sales organization, but the, the burden still falls on their shoulders because they run the company. So that's the pain point that they're having, right? And that's the place that you start. So we need to st- if we need to start talking about that pain point or making or identifying that pain point when we talk to clients. And then the next piece is we need to we need to educate them and tell them why that pain point is happening. You know, in my client's case, that pain point is happening because this is a huge gap for founders and their craft is not sales. They've been doing their craft for 15 years, so it's impossible to think that you're going to be able to pick up sales in a week or a month or whenever you need to do it and run and have a sales process that's running efficiently. This is why those pain points are happening. This is why that problem is happening. And then you need to, once you tell them why the problem is happening and kind of educate them, you need to tell them a different approach. Here's a new approach to solving this problem. Even if you don't work with me, this is how you should be thinking about it. So in my case, that would be you need to stop telling your story. You need to start telling your client's story. And whether you do that through working with me or not, or do that by yourself, I don't care. That's what you need to do if you want to solve this problem. And then at the end, I can say, here's one way, here's one approach that we take to solving this problem for our clients. We think it's a good one, but you should take, you should think about solving this problem or you need to think differently and and take a new approach to solving this problem. If you want to work with us, here's how we do it. And it would be, we come in as a fractional VP of sales, and we will actually build this process and the story and the, and the strategy for you from the ground up. We'll train your people how to do that. And then we're out of there in three to six months and you have a sales organization that's ready to scale. So that's really the the steps that you that you need to take so when when you're redoing this and that's how I work with clients we start with a solution but then we go back much much further than that does that make sense yeah so you step in as kind of an interim sales expertise to help the organization to build the structure and then also to go through that process that you identified where you're focusing on the client's problem you're identifying their pain points you're providing them with insights, education about why those pain points exist, and then suggesting a different approach, maybe offering some examples of how you've helped other clients to address some yeah, of those. Yeah, kind pain of. Points. The only thing that I would the only thing that I would dispute with that 
is when you tell them about a new approach, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be related to your product yet. That those are kind of two separate things. It's a, so for me, that when I'm talking to clients, what I say is the new approach that you need to do is you need to start talking to your customers and understanding their problems and start telling that story. But that approach is independent of them working with me. Now I help that I help my clients to actually do that. That's my specific solution. The new approach and the new way to think about solving the problem should be independent of your solution. It should be, hey, here, you, here's you know whether you work with me or not. Here's some value, and here's how you should think about solving this. Right. So you want to offer already some expertise that's going to help them and give them a little bit of space to decide. Yeah, think about the the tone that sets. That's not a used car salesman pushing a car on you. That is someone who's saying, listen, I solve this problem every day and I see this problem that you have every single day. And if you want to solve it, you better start thinking about it this way. And I'm not telling you that you have to do it with me, but I'm telling you that you need to change your approach if you want to be able to solve this problem long term. And that shifts the tone majorly because no, all of a sudden they're like, wow, this person's not trying to win me over. This person's not trying to push me on anything. They're just telling me the way it is. The interesting thing, the like kind of weird part about this is if you can do those first three parts correctly, describe their pain points for them or, or tease out those pain points, uh, tell them why those pain points are happening and then tell them a new approach. Your solution is almost an afterthought because you've, you've built such credibility with them that they're just going to trust you that you know how to solve this and they're going to work with you. It's amazing the shift that happens when, when you do that well with a client. I can see that there would be more of an openness, like more of a relaxation on the client's part in terms of taking in what you're saying. Absolutely. Do you find um, that sometimes prospective clients, they won't necessarily sign up now because it also depends on where they're at in their process. Sometimes they need a little bit of time to make it their own adjustments. You find that people come yeah, back I think, later I on. I think one of the benefits, not just for me, but it's very meta, right? Because everything that I do, I teach. But one of the benefits is that the way that I, that I teach my clients to structure their story, when you tell them like, hey, here's the approach you need to take and they don't listen to you and that their approach doesn't work, they remember that when it doesn't work and they'll come back to you later. I can't, I can't tell you the number of times where I've gotten a call from someone six months later saying, hey, you know, I hired a VP of sales internally and it didn't work because of the exact reasons that you said it was go- wasn't going to work. Do you have time to talk next week? So it's, I think when you kind of lay out, here's the problem, here are the different approaches that don't work, and here's why they don't work, you know, within that uh, education piece, when someone tries to take one of those approaches and they don't work, you know, invariably they don't work, they come back to you asking for help again. So yeah, and, and then obviously there's there's alignment issues too like financial alignment issues and that type of thing that, that happen. Right. So there's information you know when you're speaking to a prospective client and then there's information you don't know. You're not always aware of their readiness. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like they have to make every sale and you don't. As I said earlier, your job is not to pull the wool over somebody's eyes and manipulate them into buying from you. Your job is to figure out if they are in a, in a position where you can help them and then you know if it works for your business to help them. Right. And like you said, there's the important issue of alignment. You want to work with clients who are ready enough to be able to benefit from the investment they're making. So someone was just speaking with me yesterday. She's a business owner and she was talking about clients who sign contracts to benefit from her services. 
and some who, who paid for those and still weren't able to engage with her, even though she followed up many times. So that's the issue, right? From you want the client to benefit yeah, from what I mean, they're that's, paying for. Yeah, that's kind of a level two business issue. Most people, when they first start out, they're just like, okay, whatever I need to do to close this client. But then you start to realize that you'd much rather have no client than a bad client. And you get in that situation where I need to know that a client that I'm working with is willing to invest a certain amount of time with me and that they have the resources, both financially and time-wise, to take advantage of the work that we're doing together. So is that part of your process, Dom, to just take a look at that issue of alignment on different levels? Within the proposal process, there's an outline of weeks one through eight, here's the amount of invest time investment I need from you and your junior person and whomever else. It's very important to put that stuff out in front, because if they can't live up to that, you're going to end up with a client who's not happy. You're not going to be happy because the because the uh, engagement is going to be way extended because you can't get any time on these people's calendars when, when you really need it. And it's a waste of money for them if it, if it really delays out. I tend to be more foreboding with clients because I've had a couple of bad ones. When I say foreboding, I mean, I tend to tell clients, hey, listen, if this project doesn't work, here are the five reasons it probably won't work. Do you think any of these are going to be a problem for you? It's almost like I'm trying to talk them out of it if they're not serious. And I think there's power in that too, because it does shift the paradigm, but it also, it's not to shift the paradigm or some kind of Jedi mind trick. It's because I don't want to work with a client who doesn't have time to work with me or doesn't have the resources to do, to see the whole thing through. And part of the value you're offering also is that insight about if you're going to partner, then on both ends, there's, there needs to be a certain level of commitment and you're letting them know what will be required of them in order to make the engagement successful. Absolutely. These, those joint accountabilities are so important. That's great advice. Because the other issue is, as a business owner and entrepreneur, you need to have a constant feedback loop happening with the work that you're doing. You want to find out what are the areas where there may be shortfalls in your products or services. And if the engagement doesn't work out because the alignment actually was, was never in place from the beginning and that couldn't be corrected, you wind up not getting yeah, that feedback that goes back about improving to, what you're doing. I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about identifying your client's needs and making sure they match up with the value you provide. A lot of founders are very charismatic and they can get people believing in them pretty quickly within a room, you know, in a room. And what happens there is a lot of times they can get people into their trance and sell to those people, whether that person should actually work with them or not. It's just not worth doing that because that may work in the short term to get you a new client. That client's in the end is not going to be happy. And if you have enough of those, you're, you're, there's no chance you can grow as a business if you're not actually providing the service and the value that you're saying you are. You offered some great strategies that have enabled your clients to transform their sales and their businesses. One that you talked about was stop talking about yourself and talk about the problems that you can solve, clients' problems. You were also talking about being the person who is out there selling. So not just relying on warm referrals, but looking to develop new contacts. I think what happens a lot of times is people have this fantasy that they're going to hire a superhero salesperson who's just going to come in and grow their business and handle sales because they don't want to do it and it makes them uncomfortable. There's a kind of a negative energy around sales for them. And I think they have this this idea or this fantasy, they're going to bring someone in and they're going to meet with them weekly and they're just going to see the numbers go up and up and up and they can worry about the things they actually want to worry about 
which are, you know, their product or service work or growing the company or being the voice of the company or whatever that is. And it just doesn't work. Even when you hire someone, I call it I call it in-house outsourcing. So it's when you like hire someone, you think, oh, they're going to handle this entire portion of the business. With sales, that really doesn't work because you need to be the one out there talking to customers. Like the only time you should hire a salesperson is when you've got the process so down yourself that it's repeatable and you can teach it to someone else. Don't hire someone to sit to solve your sales process. Because especially in the early days, you need to be out there talking to customers so you can make product development changes based upon the feedback that you're getting from the market. If you're not the one who's out there selling, you're not going to be able to get that feedback from a third-party source uh, and figure out, okay, what's the big strategic direction of the business that I that I want to take? And if you can't sell it, you shouldn't think that somebody else can sell it because they're going to care less than you do. So you really have to have that outlined for someone when you build sales. And I would think too, that if you have a sense of the integrity of what it is that you're offering, because you start the process by making sure that there is enough alignment for what you're offering to the client to succeed. If you're selling in a way that you're actually communicating, this is going to be a great match for you, right? Then the sales process becomes a lot easier. It's not trying to convince someone. That's the attitude that you need to take. The way that I describe it is if you're, if you're a typical CEO, or your typical business, there's probably 500 problems that you have to deal with in a year. And sales is one of those problems, or you know, whatever problem someone solves for a business is one of those problems. But you can only see that problem from your perspective because you're on the inside. Whereas when I talk to a company, I've seen that one particular problem, this sales problem that I solve for clients and the scaling problem that I solve for clients, I've seen that at 500 companies. I know how they've all dealt with it. And I know the problems that they're all having. So I I position myself as I'm an expert on this one problem that you probably don't know how to solve. If you have that problem, great, let's talk. If you don't have that problem, beautiful. There are plenty of other people who do, and I'm much better off working with them. And it really is powerful, like you said, because you're there just to qualify them. When I go onto an initial sales call with someone, I'm not really thinking about how to persuade them. I mean, I think that I think that happens can happen naturally, but I'm more thinking about like does this person need me? That's the attitude I have. Does this person need me and the product and does this person have the problem that I can solve for them? Because if they don't, it really doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. You're they're a ba- they're going to be a bad fit for you and that's okay. Right, and that uncovers co- the discomfort around sales. There's a definition of selling that I think is beneficial for most people to think about. That definition is that selling is a mutual fact-finding mission to identify if the client has the needs which you can help them solve. A mutual fact-finding mission. This is teamwork. You're on the phone with them and here's your purpose together. Your purpose together is to figure out whether you can help solve a problem for them. And if the answer is no, that is A-OK. So, it's not a manipulation. It's not pushiness. It's nothing along those lines. It's a fact-finding mission. You're out there to figure this out with that person's help. And if you take that attitude, it will disarm people and they'll be much more likely to buy from you. And that requires you to have clarity about what your strengths are. It comes back to the narrative. Yeah, I think it's if you don't know what the problems you solve as a business are, then you should work on that first. But you can't figure that out without talking to customers either, you know? That's 
product and market development. But uh, if you don't know the problems that you solve for a client, then you might have bigger problems than sales. It makes me think of the business model canvas, that whole approach that's popular around startups, where you're, you're doing so much on the front end to talk to prospective customers to be able to re- refine what it is that you're offering to make sure that there's a market for, for what it is you want to do. Yeah, there's a, so there's a secondary product, which I offer to a lot of companies. Sometimes I'll work with large Fortune 500 companies who are launching a new business line or want to launch a new business line. And what we call this is market development. And a lot of people focus on product development, which is I'm going to create this thing and I'm going to get a bunch of beta users and they're going to give me all kinds of feedback on it. And market development is different. Market development is about talking to your target customers or the people who will eventually be buying from you. And really digging into the, the problems that they have and how they solve them and what their buying criteria are and what, the, and what they're thinking about and validating whether or not like, where your product and where the problem that your product solves stands in their hierarchy and then who owns that problem at a particular organization. So we, we do a lot of work with helping clients to understand that first. If you don't know your target customer inside and out, it's going to be really hard to, to sell to that person. What are some of the ways, Dom, that you gather that information? It's like a scientific experiment. That's the best way to, to think about it. So first thing we do is we identify who we think the target customer is and who we want to talk to. Then we identify what are our assumptions about that target customer? What are our assumptions about their problems? So uh, a typical assumption would be the CTO at a company oversees the data science team, right? So that's our assumption. That's what we think is going on. We don't really know, but that's our assumption. So we put together, you know, eight to 10 of these assumptions about the business and about the target customer. And then it's my job to go out and find those target customers and speak to them. And I, and I conduct these interviews while my clients listen. And I, I get these people on the phone and I start asking them about the problems they have. I don't tell them anything about the product that I'm talking about. I don't tell them anything about the company that I'm representing, not until much later in the conversation. What I talk to them about is trying to figure out whether the assumptions we've made about this market are correct. And it's really an interview process. And then at the end of that, once you start to have five, six, seven, eight of these conversations, what you find is that the conversation starts repeating over and over again. And then you have your answer about whether these assumptions are true or not. And there's nuances that you pick up along the way. And you can get out of a cave by putting your hands out and touching the wall until you find the, find the way out. That's kind of the trial and error approach. And then what, what, when we do this customer market development with our clients... What I say is you can, or you can shine a flashlight. And what we, this process that we do helps you to shine a flashlight and get out of that cave. How do you get them to talk to you? Oh, that's the secret sauce. I'm a salesperson. <laughs> I've been doing that for years. Um, no, you know, I, it's, there's basic best practices on reaching out to these people. I really, you know, it's not anything, it's not anything magical. I was, I was a sales development rep for a long time. And so my job was to go out and create relationships with people that I've never spoken to before. And if you do, if you do things that are in line with best practices, those people will talk to you. You'd be surprised what people will tell you if you just ask. Well, I think you're demonstrating what it is that you can do that fills in gaps for businesses, putting the structure in place to have a solid sales pipeline 
and that's based on best practices. And then there's this whole outreach effort that happens. Yeah. The key is, A, the art is in the interview, I think. Most people can find target customers. The way in which you conduct that interview is so key to get out the findings that you're looking for. Because you can't get on the phone and just say, hey, here's my product. What do you think of it? Most people are incentivized to say, oh, it's great. And then you don't really get any value. So you need to, you really need to tease, tease out what you're actually looking for in those interviews. But I find that's a lot of companies come to me saying, I want to scale sales. When I ask them how many clients they have, they say one. And I'm like, well, you're not ready to scale sales. You need to figure out your target customer first. You need to make sure you need to validate that you're solving a a need in the market here. Dom, you've offered so many valuable strategies. I have a huge list of questions in my head that I'd love to ask, but I think it would be a good opportunity right now to share with listeners how they can access more information. One thing that I wanted to mention is that I noticed on your website, which is thecleancell.com, T-H-E-C-L-E-A-N, cell, S-E-L-L.com, that you offer visitors free access to a worksheet that your clients have used to increase their conversions, and you say by 25%. That's true. So the structure, whenever I work with a client, the content changes. But the structure, the basic structure, as I mentioned earlier, the structure of a story, I've I've kind of demystified that. So the structure, that structure sheet works really, really well to help you outline your first conversation with someone and outline that discovery call conversation. If you download that, you should be able to fill that in and apply and it should and it should help. I can't do everything for you, but it's certainly a good start. It's, it's exactly what I use with my clients that I work with. If you go to thecleancell.com, you'll notice a great pop-up window and it's called the seven-step pitch structure worksheet. And Dom, I want to thank you so much for your wonderful generosity and also ask you, what should listeners do if they'd like to find out if your services would be a good fit for them? Yeah, sure. So they can they can either, there's a contact page on my website or they can email me directly. They can email me at dom, D-O-M, at thecleancell, uh, S-E-L-L, dot com. And I'm happy to hop on the phone with them, you know, and do just what we talked about, right? Figure out what their needs are and tell them and then figure out if I can help. And you mentioned that you do half hour discovery calls. Yeah. So, so I always do a cons- an initial consultation with a client to figure out if we should take the next step for sure. So I'm happy to do that with anyone who thinks it might make sense for them to work with me. And just to offer a ballpark sense of, of where your fees start, can you just talk a little bit about the minimum financial investment that is involved? There's a couple of different outlines. So if I'm doing kind of a full transition package, it really it varies by client, but the minimum is usually about $30,000. If it's kind of a, a quick project or a you know a story rewrite that type of thing that can be somewhere between five and ten. It always varies a little bit, but I think that should give you a, a good understanding of uh, what the basic services look like. And it sounds like having the discovery call helps a lot because sometimes you might think you need one thing, but if you have more of a detailed conversation, you're able to help the client to assess what they really need. Yeah, that's so that's so key. Thank you so much again, Dom. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Likewise, and thanks for the great work that you're doing. My pleasure. I'd like to invite listeners, if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Turn the Page. Turn the Page is sponsored in part by Life and Career Choices, Inc. Host Hemda Mizrahi invites you to email her at hosthemda at gmail.com to explore becoming a sponsor or affiliate of the show. Until next time, make one change that will benefit your life and your business.